Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. This week we conclude Psalm 23 and part two of this topic on what this popular passage means and what it is we are to understand when we often mindlessly spout out the words from memory. And I would encourage you not to listen to this passage until you go back and listen to part one. So jumping right back into it, we will once again reread Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in part one, we discussed the first five words, the Lord is my shepherd, and we were able to determine that without the full understanding of those first words, we are unable to even continue with understanding the remainder of this psalm. We now get to, I shall not want, and these four words wrap up the entirety of the first sentence. And those words perhaps seem simple enough, but are they really simple? I shall not want. Well, that alone is not simple at all, at least in my mind. So let's break this down with a few other translations. First from Eugene Peterson's The Message, and he says it this way, I don't need anything. The New Living Translation states, I have all that I need. And the New International Version says, I lack nothing. In my personal opinion, I believe that the three other translations we have just read give a good foundation and meaning and provide a much richer context than the original King James Version or the New King James Version, which I used for our initial reading of the psalm. Regardless, we see in all the translations that we have everything we need. We have been and are and will be perfectly provided for in all things and in all ways by the shepherd, our Lord God. Now from here, we will conclude the entirety of this psalm by tying the rest of the text, verses 2 through 6, to the first sentence. Again, without agreeing to and understanding the first sentence, verse 1, there is no way we can understand or even agree to the rest of the passage. And our next sentence, verse 2, states, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And everything we learned from verse 1 indicates this, verse 2, is exactly what a truly good shepherd's job entails. The shepherd finds green pastures for his sheep, pastures free from predators and deadly plants, plenty of shade to relax in, all by a good source of still water. This now is certainly a complete picture of absolute calm, peace, and tranquility, a place where you draw in a long, deep breath and slowly let it out with the assuredness of complete comfort, security, and trust. No fear, no worry, perfect bliss. And when we listen and are obedient to that call to lie down and in the exact place we are told to be by the Great Shepherd, we will be restored and in perfect peace. Keep in mind, everything worth having and everything worth keeping that is of value requires restoration so long as we are in this world. 
And so, too, it is with our lives. And God knows this perfectly well, hence his shepherding techniques. We see this as an example for us in Genesis 1 during creation, when God said on the seventh day he rested. He took time, God took time, a day, to be restored. God lived out exactly what he calls us to do, and only because he knows it is required of us in our current place and time. Of course, God does not need to rest, but he knows we do. So our shepherd modeled this for us to live by. Continuing in verse 2, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So it seems that at this point in the psalm, we have been rounded up and are being moved from our current location and on to other pastures. And so we must get on the road, the paths that lead us to the next phase, the next place, the next season of our lives. We have evidently spent enough time in the current pasture, and there is nothing left to fulfill our needs to keep us growing, or perhaps there are too many predators that hinder us from what we need to focus on, which is eating goodness in order that we might grow. This sounds just like the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We need to eat and eat every day. We need to eat because we need to grow. And if we are distracted by the world and get distracted from focusing on what is really good for us, that being of God, we will suffer from malnutrition and potentially die. Yes, I am describing our spiritual existence here. So it is, as we discussed in part one, sheep and other domesticated animals need someone to take care of them. They require someone to plan ahead every day for their survival. They need someone to recognize that their source of life, the pasture grasses, are nearing an end and when it will be time to move on and just the right time. And yet it is often a battle to round up the sheep and get them to move on to the different pastures. The sheep have become content in their surroundings, they are comfortable and complacent, and it is evident they hate change, just like many humans hate change, and we start wanting things to just be brought to us. But we generally only hate change because we don't often see the need or understand the reason or the necessity that our time is truly up in a particular place. The shepherd knows we will hit a wall, we will burn out, or worse yet, die. So we get rounded up while we wildly run in circles, complete with buying our hearts out. Oh, how I can relate to this in my own life. I am such a stubborn sheep. Even the sheepdog gets exhausted trying to round me up. And so the great and excellent shepherd reaches out and says, that's enough. You are going this way. The question begs, however, why don't the sheep want to go to better pastures? After all, there's more food, better, fresher, more delicious, life-sustaining nourishment to be had. Or it's just safer. Again, it's all because they are afraid of change, afraid of the unknown. But far more likely than all that, they hate to be told what to do and when to do it and how to do it. But the sheep will not be given an option on this one, and no leeway. And so the sheep, just like people, when they don't listen and cooperate, need and will get from a good shepherd both reassurance and discipline, comfort and pressure, and all because the shepherd knows best and will take the necessary and loving actions to direct their steps. And this is because these sheep are his investment, and his job is to keep those sheep, us, alive and safe. So having been evicted from our pasture, or our self-determined good spot in life, where everything was seemingly good as far as we were concerned, we are prodded down the road, out in the wide open, new territory, new sounds, scary sounds, new sights, scary sights, 
and our comfort and peace is shaken, and often we turn to fear and anxiety. We then complain and bah all the louder. Why didn't you just leave us where we were? We were fine there. Can't you see, shepherd? You were ju- you're just upsetting us. We are fat and happy, and now look, we're frazzled. And you won't even let us lie down. You just keep going and prodding and poking nonstop until we get to our final destination. Brutal. What kind of life is this? But again, all this is done for the safety of the flock. And all the more reason the sheep need to turn to trust the shepherd for protection and know that he is doing what is best and in all circumstances. As life would have it, however, and as we go on our various paths from place to place in our lives, we often have to pass through the seemingly rough neighborhoods, and that walks us directly to our next verse. Verse 3, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here again is our great shepherd doing his job flawlessly. He is showing us his care, concern, love, compassion, but all while keeping us in line with corrective measures. And I know many read this passage, as I have for much of my life, as sort of a dreadful sentence, a sentence laced with fear and gloom, walking through the shadow of death. Oh, that's creepy, dark and misty, fog descending over the land along with very poor visibility. But I don't think any longer that this passage is creepy and spooky and mysterious and dark. I find it amazing, truly uplifting, everything to relish in and celebrate with absolute joy and truly full of light. And why wouldn't this be the most encouraging part of the psalm? Why isn't this the most popular uplifting sentence in potentially all of God's Word? And this is the most encouraging thing I could ever know next to salvation. It states so clearly that, one, I will be at various times throughout my life walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a guarantee. This is life. This is reality. And you aren't going to get out of it. And that is perfectly okay. Yeah, but how is that mess perfectly okay and encouraging? Because of James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The valley of the shadow of death is a trail of trials, guaranteed trials, and there will be many kinds of these valley of death trials that we will walk through. But how do we walk through these valley of death trials? We need to do it with God, our great shepherd, who knows that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. He knows the land. And if by chance we let perseverance do its job and we allow it to be completed in our life, we will lack nothing and will fear no evil even in the darkest and thickest of shadows. Because even in the darkest of dark valleys and the murkiest of conditions, we are still in the light. Remember, it says, it is only a shadow of death, not death itself. Psalm 119.105 states, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, there is light. This is exactly what God did in Genesis 1.1. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God separated the light from the darkness. And this was the light of God, separating good from evil. And it is today the same light that separates good from evil with us. It is what the believer must walk by. And when we do, we see clearly no matter the conditions. 
But how do I get to that point of discipline or letting these tests blossom in my life and then letting them go to seed and reproduce in abundance so that I can bear the fruit of peace, patience, and perseverance, and all while walking in the light, even in the dark? Only through the perfect discipline that comes from God, our incredible shepherd, and that by faith and trust. Let's keep moving along with our sentence. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, if you don't bolt from the flock and do it your way, think you have the answer, the better route, the easier way. You have nothing to fear because your focus is only on knowing He, God, the Great Shepherd, is with you, and you don't have time to focus on anything else. But this passage goes even deeper and states, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I do find this portion of the psalm incredibly fascinating. Again, for much of my life interacting with this psalm, it presented me with a question, which I believe I have finally answered. Let's look. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For me, that always seemed to be a comforting set of words. It seems like a very loving and tender thing. And indeed it is, but not in the way I believe many of us take it. I always saw this as more of a gentle encouragement and gentle coaxing, like a gentle hand from God around my shoulder, coaxing me gently back on the path. But let's consider carefully the following and in light of what we now know of shepherding. The rod and staff are in reality tools of discipline and correcting, and when used are and would be respectively very uncomfortable. I say respectively because I have had the rod applied to my backside a few times as a kid and know that it is not a very warm and comforting moment. In contrast, while I have never had a shepherd's staff hooked around my neck to yank me back, I feel with a good bit of certainty that the latter would also be quite uncomfortable and unnerving, especially when I had a mission to accomplish and was at full gallop to get away and then got hooked. How dare you yank me back like that and choke me? Do you know who I am? We see, however, that both of these tools are necessary tools for the trade and for a good shepherd and a good parent. And so it is with our God and shepherd that he is the great and perfect parent and knows that discipline is necessary, very good and very loving, but not always comfortable. But isn't that how we grow? No pain, no gain. The evidence, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their child but the one who loves their child is careful to discipline them. And there is our rod of correction in use. And this sentence is all about divine, awesome, unconditional, pure love and pure comfort from God. Yes, discipline is uncomfortable, corrective measures that result in pure joy. Hebrews 12:5 states, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. And how about Proverbs 3:11? My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. But how are we supposed to do that? How are we not to react angrily and bitterly against consequence? Let's take a look at Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. God, the great sheep herder, will keep us on the right path, and when we stray off the path, he will bring us back in line, and always with the force that is necessary according to our stubbornness. The passage now, in essence, leads us to the next pasture. 
we started off lying down in green pastures and eating, drinking, and being good, happy sheep. Then we are walked to our next pasture, the next season of life, but had to pass through the valley of the shadow of death to get to our next pasture, which thoroughly upset most of us. And now it seems we have indeed made it, safe and sound to our new pasture, our new season in life, and all in one piece, and amazingly to be greeted by a feast, a banquet table to sit at and eat once again in peace and security. And so we get to verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Oh yes, that sounds nice, very nice. In fact, I could go for that right now sitting down to a table that no less God prepared. On top of that, he anoints my head with oil. He makes me smell good. And even still, there is more. I have so much that I am unable to even contain all the blessings. It's so much, it's running over. I can't imagine what that would look like and all in the face of my enemies. You know your enemies, all the people that hate you, all the people you have a rightful grudge with, all those rotten people that live on this planet who don't believe what you believe, think exactly what you think, and all those who don't share your exact views. As we lean back in our chair, smugly looking about at our enemies and muttering, yeah, take that, you can't get me. Is that what this table is for? Is that why God set this for us, to gloat? This is not a time of gloating and saying, thank you God for sticking this in the face of those who are less than I am, who aren't where I am, all those people, not at all. This is a time to focus on the blessings, the love, the discipline, the guidance, the shepherd who spared his life for each of us. How about reading this verse this way? The sheep have a pasture table prepared for them in the middle of their enemies. And just who is their enemy? The wolves who are surrounding their pasture table and they are waiting to devour those sheep and shred them apart. However, we the sheep can eat in peace and dine in comfort, even in the presence of the enemy, because once again, our great shepherd is prepared and ready. He is able and he will keep us from being mauled and consumed by Satan, even while we are dining in the middle of the wickedness and evil of this world. And this verse, I believe, is a great representation of just how we can live our lives right now and for the rest of our individual lives until we exit this life. We can dine in joy and peace and safety and comfort. We can go from place to place, season to season, and through the darkest valleys, and all because when we are obedient sheep, our enemy, our predators, can surround us and will surround us, but we will fear no evil, but only if we listen and trust our shepherd. Christians do look delicious and tasty to Satan. We are often very easy targets because we are so quick to wander off. We aren't very bright half the time and think we are superheroes, super sheep. We often think just because we claim God, we are invincible and shouldn't ultimately have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And often, when we are in the valley, we completely forget that we have a guide, a shepherd, light, and then we get hurt. And then, ironically, we blame the shepherd for our struggles. We then go right back to moaning and buying away. Help me. Why me? Why God? Why don't you love me? Why did you let this happen to me? I'm always the one to suffer. Why always me? And we lay there, tipped over, kicking. That is such a sad and pathetic sight. And why are we in that situation? All because we did it our way. Worse still, 
we generally never learn not to do it again. And worse than worse still, we sometimes go and do what got us into trouble immediately after God helps us up. Yep, that's us. Let's conclude. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is it in a nutshell. In the end, when all is said and done, when the book is closed on this life and the book of life is opened to the next, we will know that the shepherd of goodness and mercy truly walked with us all the days of our lives and that we are in fact now going to dwell in his house, the house of our Lord God for eternity, forever and ever, a world without end. Let us go now to our great shepherd in thanksgiving and prayer. Glory be to you, Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever will be, a world without end. You are the great shepherd, King of kings, Lord of lords, our great and glorious God, and we thank you for that. Thank you for so sacrificially sparing your life on behalf of us. Thank you for taking care of us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, turning darkness into light for us. Thank you for taking us to green pastures and making us lie down and rest and continually providing for all of our needs. Thank you for rounding us up even when we don't want to go. In the midst of our kicking and screaming, you still gently love us and perfectly correct us, and we are grateful. Your love, Father, is unspeakable, and your patience is matchless. We ask that you would now lead us this week through the valleys, and that we would find them pure joy, and that we would rely on you and trust you, and depend on your voice, and follow you all the days of our lives, as we look forward to dwelling in your house forever and ever. And this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Great Shepherd, 